You're listening to Talk with Charlie, the official informational podcast of the Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center in Augusta, Georgia. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason Tudor, the public affairs officer for Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center and the host of this debut episode. In this episode, an important topic, suicide awareness and prevention. It's taken on new importance within the Department of Veterans Affairs as Secretary of the VA, Dr. David Shulkin, has made it one of his top priorities, and the VA's new effort is to get veteran suicide to zero. To that end, new programs and policy have been rolling out. The VA is also committing staff and resources to the issue, including a new Veterans Crisis Line call center in Atlanta, adding on to its existing call center capability in Canandaigua, New York. Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center has an active suicide prevention program that reaches out to the 150,000 veterans in our 1,500-square-mile catchment area in Georgia and South Carolina. I recently spoke with Lisa Gerardo, the Medical Center's Suicide Prevention Coordinator, to talk about the program here in the CSRA, how family and friends can help prevent a suicide, how veterans can seek help, and more. Remember, if you or a loved one need help or are having thoughts of harming yourself, please reach out to the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 for veteran assistance. And now, my interview with Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center's Suicide Prevention Coordinator, Lisa Gerardo. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Good, thanks. I'm glad we have you in today. This is an important topic. Uh, Just in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Shulkin, the new secretary of the VA, has said this is one of his top priorities, if it's not his top priority, suicide prevention. So can you talk a little bit about the program here in Augusta, sort of what you do and kind of how that helps veterans? Certainly. Here in Augusta, where we put most of our emphasis is collaborating with our mental health providers and all the other providers in the VA so that they feel better equipped to help identify veterans that they feel are at higher risk for suicide. One of the things we want to do is figure out who is at risk and make sure we're getting them connected with the mental health care that they need, the extra support that they need. Um, Suicidality is not a condition or a state, it's a symptom. And, you know, we want to do things that can help uh, improve veterans' lives and improve their outcomes and make them feel connected and generally have a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of internal training with all of our providers so that we can share that responsibility. Can you talk a little bit about maybe that training and sort of what are the sorts of the things you're telling providers and what you as the, mm-hmm. the prevention, suicide prevention sure. person do and, and how that kind of works so veterans mm-hmm. kind of know what, what's going on in the background? Sure. One of the things that we want to emphasize is asking the question. You know, are veterans having thoughts of suicide? Mm-hmm. Um, it's real important to ask it in terms of so have, are you having thoughts of suicide or having thoughts of killing yourself as opposed to harming or hurting or mm-hmm. things like that? Because mm-hmm. um, that's a very different animal. Harming yourself okay. is different from wanting to actually die. Mm-hmm. And so we want them to ask the question and, and develop a comfort level in knowing that that's just important to ask as it is about any other physical conditions, mm-hmm. you know, headaches or, you know, sleeplessness, any of those things that when we're seeing our providers, they're going to assess for. Mm-hmm. Um, So we want them to have that comfort level and to be able to ask that. Um, A lot of people are really scared of the idea of suicide and the word suicide. Mm. 
And when you I, say a lot of people, you, do you mean like family members or just people who are sort of looking at the, the issue from the outside in, or how, how do you mean? I think everybody. Okay. Um, the family members definitely, but even our providers, it makes them very anxious mm. at times to, to think about suicide and use the word. And there's a lot of myths out there. I think some people think if they ask specifically about suicide, they're going to create a situation like they're going to give somebody the idea. Right. And that really isn't the way it works. I mean, what happens is folks that are having thoughts of suicide are often very ambivalent about communicating that. Mm -hmm. They don't know how folks are going to react. Mm -hmm. Um, They know that there's a stigma about mental health concerns in general, and suicide is part of that. So they're afraid, if I say something, are people going to think I'm crazy, Mm -hmm. or they, you know, look at me differently? And so there's often a hesitancy to admit it. You talked about the stigma of mental health problems. I remember serving in the military, and that stigma existed there. And a lot of people of rank thought, well, if I come forward with a mental health problem, I won't get promoted, I'll lose my security clearance, or something like that. I, I think right. that's what you're sort of getting onto. There, yes, right? yes. Definitely that that military aspect comes into play mm-hmm. because a lot of folks, when they were active duty, were very hesitant to open up about that. Right. But even the general population, you know, mental health is something that people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times folks think that because mental health issues manifest themselves in behaviors, mm-hmm. often really troublesome behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, folks think that you should be able to control that. Oh, right. You know, and that's really not necessarily the way it works. Just as just as well as you can't control your blood pressure level, right. you know, right. just by thinking hard about it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I think one of the things that hangs out there is the number 22, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yes. And I've heard, uh, when I've spoken to suicide prevention coordinators in different areas, um, they they talk about it in different ways. So I, I think veterans would like to know what that number is now, or is that number relevant? Because we've been hearing about it for a few years now. I think veterans are aware that amongst veterans, I think suicides are still high, but maybe you could shed a little more light on that. Absolutely. That number has changed a little bit. Um, Within the last year, the VA completed the largest study on suicide risk that they've ever done. Mm -hmm. There were over 50 million records that were looked at and analyzed from not just VA health and admin, but also active duty, reservists, all of this kind of stuff. And a couple of changes did come out of that. One is that we identified that veterans are about 21% at more higher risk mm-hmm. of suicide than civilians. Mm-hmm. We used to think it was more like 50. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have a decrease. Mm-hmm. It's still too high, but it's nice to have a decrease. Mm-hmm. The number 22 actually went down to 20. Mm-hmm. So again, a little it. bit of improvement. Right. But what I thought was really significant from that uh, group of 20 is that they found out that only six of the 20 that die by suicide daily are actually connected and involved with VA care. Mm. So there are all sorts of folks out there somewhere, potentially in distress and Mm -hmm. at risk, who, for whatever reason, are not involved with VA services, are not availing themselves of the resources that we have. And so that makes it even more important to be talking about this, to be out in front of people, to be working with community partners to let them know, we need to get folks connected here. Because suicidality we can help that. Mm-hmm. You can feel better, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we don't want folks out there 
feeling hopeless and helpless and thinking that this is just there forever. Yeah, yeah. One of the things um, that folks probably want to know is how a veteran might be at risk for suicide. Are there warning signs? Are there things that people see? Maybe even, I mean, in a veteran, his or herself, I mean, what, what do you see is how can they see those, those risks? Absolutely. One of the things that folks need to tune into is any kind of a change in a veteran's behavior. Um, or our family members, a friend, you know, if all of a sudden they are not enjoying things that they used to enjoy, mm-hmm. um, if they're isolating more, um, if they're becoming irritable, sometimes folks think that their image is just people being really depressed and sad, mm. but sometimes the way it manifests itself is really anger and irritability, kind of pushing people away, yeah. intolerance. So the first thing to do is to tune in that something has changed, mm-hmm. that something is not okay. Mm-hmm. Then we need to check in with folks. And this is where I think we as people um, shoot ourselves in the foot mm. because I think most of us are aware that the people that we're around, the people that we care about, we know when something's just not right, when mm-hmm. something's bothering them. Mm-hmm. But then we start talking mm-hmm. ourselves out of it. We think, oh, maybe it's nothing, maybe they'll get over it. Mm-hmm. If I ask them about it, they'll think I'm getting in their business, mm-hmm. um, they'll be mad at me. We do all of these things that we talk ourselves out of talking to them, confronting them, you know, expressing concern and care. Mm -hmm. And then potentially then at the end, if we have somebody who takes some sort of action, then you have, that's when that guilt for survivors comes in because they're like, oh, I should have done something. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you talk to folks that have been thinking about suicide, even folks that have been planning suicide, what has been a benefit to them, what has stopped them, is something simple like someone saying, what's going on, mm, how right. are you doing? Right. Just calling to check on them and maybe not even ask directly, hey, I just haven't talked to you in a couple of days, how right. are you doing? Right. And so I really want us to encourage ourselves and our friends and our family members to, you know, check in with folks, Mm -hmm. tune in when they're in distress. Mm -hmm. Suicidality is a symptom of distress, Mm -hmm. emotional distress, and that's the way we want to look at it. Um, It's not necessarily an end result. And so if we can identify when folks are upset about something and just connect with them from a human caring perspective, a lot of times that's going to make all the difference in the world. can a family or a roommate or somebody do to make a place safer for someone who uh, may be at risk for suicide? What are some of the things that can be done by those folks? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and I think that comes with the denial that things are going to be okay, mm-hmm. and I don't want to mess with anybody. You know, I don't want to tread on anybody's rights. But one of the things that we do know is that although folks may think about suicide for a long time, when they make the decision to take some action, it's often a very impulsive thought. Mm. And one of the biggest things that makes that worrisome for us is access to firearms. Mm. Now, everybody has the right to gun ownership, and this is not about taking away those rights at all. Mm -hmm. It's about being 
smart and safe when it comes to accessibility. Mm -hmm. So we need folks to think about what we call means reduction, which is reducing the ability to access a the means or the method to, right. to hurt yourself. Right. So with firearms, one of the things that we want folks to know about is that easy accessibility to a loaded, ready-to-go firearm mm -hmm. is one of the riskiest things that we can have in place for somebody who may be having thoughts of suicide or any kind of other emotional distress. And so if folks are not willing to let someone else hold their firearms for a while, because we do encourage them to do that. You don't have to give them away, but if you're in a rough spot, let somebody else hang on to them at their place. Mm. You know, just keep them out of the way for a little right, bit. Right. When things get better, you can have your guns back in yeah, your home. Yeah. But if they're not willing to do that, then we want to build in delays that it would take to put that firearm uh, into a point where it could be used and could be sure, lethal. Sure. So that's when we think about things like locking firearms up, locks, yeah. mm -hmm. um, locking ammo and guns separately, mm -hmm. um, the trigger locks, mm -hmm. um, maybe even storing the guns dismantled as if you'd taken them apart for cleaning them. Mm -hmm. Um, having folks remove firing pins and have the firing pins at a different location. Mm -hmm. You know, any of these kinds of things that it would take multiple steps to have to put them together. Right. Because what will happen is if you build in those delays, then you've got the chance that anything can happen in the process that can distract them or can derail them from that action. Right. I've had veterans say, you know, I was on my way to do this and the dog barked. You know, something as simple as the dog barking right. and they stopped and like, okay, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I got to do something else. I'm heading down a scary path. Right. So we want to build in those delays. Right. Um, that's the most important thing for firearms. A lot of times family members will like hide the firearms. They think, well, I've got it tucked away. My, my veteran has no idea where it is. Mm -hmm. That's really worrisome. That, that builds in a false sense of security. Um, the risk is, if you've got someone that's really contemplating suicide, mm -hmm. and they're really contemplating using a firearm, mm -hmm. and they know it's somewhere in the house, I guarantee you they found it. Mm. They know where it's hidden, and they've just kind of filed that way that sure. information away. Sure. So we really don't want to encourage people to hide them. We want to look at the other other kinds of methods that are going to delay some real the deterrence. Yes, yeah. real deterrence. Are there other things? I mean, uh, you mentioned firearms, like knives or prescription drugs. Are there mm -hmm. are there other measures that people can take? Absolutely, the medications are big mm -hmm. too. Um, a risk with medications is if you have a, like a stockpile, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're getting health care and you're seeing your providers regularly, odds are that your prescription changes. Right. And you may have leftover medications that you're not using anymore because your prescription has changed. And we really want folks to not have all these extra unused pills right. sitting around. Right. So, you know, having family members and veterans themselves kind of take stock of what they've got 
and only have in the house what they are currently using, what they're currently prescribed and taking appropriately is important. Mm -hmm. um, I know our pharmacy has little bags, disposal bags that you can get. Oh, right. You can bring in your unused medicine and they will take care of that mm -hmm. for you. So mm -hmm. we want people to do that. Um, the other thing that we suggest is using pill boxes mm -hmm. so that you are then accessing just the pills that you need that for you that need, day. Right. You don't have the whole bottle in your hands. Mm -hmm. So that can be helpful. Uh, in a lot of scenarios, we ask that another person, a family member or a friend, be in charge of those medications mm -hmm. and administer, administer them. Um, you know, here are your meds for today. And so then the person at risk never has that entire bottle. Right. Um, there are also times that we can work with providers and have certain prescriptions written where they're filled on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. not, you know, a month. Oh, right. So that right. you have a limited amount anyway. Yeah, sure. Um, you can't tell people not to take their prescription medications. They need them for other things. Right. And so... Finding other ways that what instead of limiting access like we do with firearms, what we want to do is limit access to the amount right. that they've got. Um, and we even talk about over-counter medic medications, mm. too. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of over-counter medications that can take taken in large amounts can be very, very dangerous. Sure. So we, sure. we want people to look at those kinds of things. Um, the knives are harder. You know, because you can't tell people not to cook, you know, <laughs> not and not to shut their right? vegetables. Right, 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 you know. So um, you may want to work with someone to kind of limit how many mm. knives that you have. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if think people are feeling really at a risky situation, make some kind of agreements with their family members that they won't be in their cooking. They mm -hmm. won't even be utilizing the knives or kind of have that contact that they're visible. Oh, now I'm thinking about knives. Mm -hmm. um, those are some things that can be done. Um, sometimes you just have to be really creative. Yeah. I uh, Once upon a time, years ago, I had a veteran that was concerned that he wanted to crash his car into things and mm. use his vehicle as a method. Right. And so then you have the challenge, okay, how do you uh, restrict access to a vehicle when mm -hmm. people need to get around? Right. And one of the things that he said was he, w he was going to give his keys to a family member mm. and they were going to have a pact that if he was upset not to let him have the key sure. in any way, shape, or form. Sure. So that was really important. So a lot of times what you're doing is partnering with your friends and family right. around things that are potentially risky. You know, have another set of eyeballs on you and on your environment to help with that. So here's the uh, maybe the big question of the interview. I'm a veteran in the community, and I think I'm going to uh, make an attempt. Mm-hmm. Who can I call? Can I call you, or who do I call? Well, well let me and let me ask. Okay. Let me caveat it with this. Okay. Whether I'm registered with the VA or not, maybe that's. Do we delineate, or what do we do? At this point, if somebody's at that level of risk, we're not going to be picky mm -hmm. about you know whether they're registered or not or any of that. Okay. Um, the easiest thing to do is call the Veterans Crisis Line. They're 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. We now have two call centers staffed That's with right. responders. One in Atlanta and one in uh, 
Canandaigua. I always mispronounce that, but yeah. I think I got it right. It's even harder to spell. That's right. <laughs> but but that's awesome because it really increases the the odds that you're actually going to get one of our trained responders. Mm. If you call the crisis line, you're always going to get a responder. We're part of a network of 165 crisis centers, so it's all the same 1-800 number. Yes. It's just when our veterans press one, they get routed to our folks that are more familiar with um, veterans' needs. Right. So that's one of the easiest things to do. Um, the other thing to do is just to present to your nearest emergency room. Mm. I mean, if, you're, if the VA isn't your closest emergency room, go to the nearest emergency room okay. and let them know what's going on. Okay. Um, our mental health clinic here at the VA, we do take unscheduled walk-ins during business hours, so that's an option too. Okay. Um, the biggest thing is to get in front of somebody to let someone know. And even if it's a family member to say, uh, something's going on, I'm not feeling okay, you need to help get me somewhere. You know, okay. just be willing to do that. How are you connected in the community? What sorts of uh, links do you have and, and who are you talking to most often in Augusta or Aiken or, or some of the area, mm-hmm. Athens or some of the areas we, where we uh, talk to our own veterans? Okay. Well, of course, it's still part of the VA system, but we work really closely with our, our CBOX, our community clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always partnering with them. We participate as part of the this agency's outreach committee. Mm-hmm. So we attend events with them that are often there to uh, enroll veterans mm-hmm. in their benefits. And so we make them aware that this is a resource and this is a support for them. Right. Um, we work closely with um, Augusta Warrior Project. Mm. Um, we work closely with our, of course, our law enforcement yeah. facilities. Uh, we spend a lot of time interacting with our tech schools and our local colleges because we have many, many veterans that are using their educational benefits right. and going to classes there. And so um, they're getting resources within their school setting, but we also want them to know how to connect with us. Mm. So that's largely what we're doing out in the community at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that else I might not have covered that you'd like to chat about? Well, one of the things that we have been talking about as a program this year is to really um, spend more time getting the message out with some of the stuff that we were talking today yeah. with how family members can be more involved mm-hmm. and feel um, a part of supporting and helping their veteran mm-hmm. and a lot about the the firearm safety mm-hmm. and so that's going to be a significant push for us mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. um, we can't say it enough you know especially since it's they're topics that people feel strongly about and are often uncomfortable sure. about so sure. the more we talk about it and the more we make people feel that this is just a normal part of how we think about things how we think about keeping ourselves safe mm-hmm. our loved ones safe um, that's what we want to do. Right, and again, Dr. Shulkin has made it his number one priority, or at least one of his top priorities, so I think we've, we've got our marching orders at Absolutely. This point. Well, Lisa, thank you very much, and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you about this thank topic. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Talk with Charlie, the official informational podcast of the Charlie Norwood VA Medical Center. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a rating or review in iTunes, on Google Play, or let us know via the VA Augusta Facebook page. For more information about VA benefits, health care, or our cemetery system, 
visit www.va.gov.